Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well oh, companion in. course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, how are you? Thank you. I'm so glad you called me. Thank you, because I couldn't get in by calling. I know. When I dialed in, the screen was looking different than usual. It was telling me, waiting for hosts to dial in at the same time that it was playing our opening song, and... um, 
I'm not seeing any calls in the queue at this moment. And then you emailed and said you had a busy signal. So I am thinking that there's something funky going on with blog talk system right now. I think so. And I think that um, other people are experiencing what I experienced because Titania called me and said she couldn't get in. Ah, interesting. Yes, because it, the, it's, it looks very empty right now. And as I said, as the song was playing in the opening, I was getting a message on top waiting for host to dial in. And I thought, what the heck? I'm in. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Hello. Hello. Right. See me. Please see me. Um, I can hang up and dial in again without closing the blog talk screen online. And we can see if that resets things. Um, otherwise, so, do you need for hang up to happen? It would. Then I would dial back in um, after the computer asks me if I want to end the episode because the host. And then, is, I'll, and then I'll see if I can call in. That's that's great. That's great. If not, you can email me. If back. I can't, if I can't, then call me. Okay. Perfect. If you can't. So, how long is it going to take you to do what you need to do? A minute? Two minutes? Five minutes? It will take me less than one minute, 30 seconds to one minute. Perfect. All right. So then if I don't hear from you, or I'll call you back, or could you just email me and say I can't get in again? Just call me back. Okay, perfect. All right. Love you. Bye. 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 Okay, Susan, I did not get an answer at Brandy's, but, you know, she may not be answering because she doesn't know my number. Exactly. So why don't I email her and let her know what's going on and include my number? Then hopefully she'll pick up. What a really good idea. Okay, I'm going to do that right now. And I can yes. talk and email at the same time, so. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> anyone tell you you can't multitask. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> she was the champion. She said, what you can't do is you can't do two of the same thing at the same time. Yes. I, thought that, I thought that was quite the interesting distinction. I Wow, I never thought about that, but that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Definitely driving and texting, bad combination. Very bad combination, right. Not not a place where you can do more than one thing at a time. Mm-mm. Risks are way too high. 
really. Okay. So, I was thinking that it's very important for me to remember that it is too soon to start any seeds at all. Ah, I was hearing your voice. That is always my big temptation at this time, as the light gets brighter, and as you say, oh, this seems to be coming up, and that seems to be happening, you know. And then you start looking at all the seeds that you have. Mm. And it's hard not to say, well, maybe it's just a few. Don't do it. I can tell you from all of the leggy tomatoes I have grown, it's not worth it. You mm. won't you won't gain anything by starting them now. Really. Pretty much no matter where you are, it's better to wait. Makes sense to me. I was just wondering today, though, am I missing it because I'm down in Florida for a quick little visit? I'm like, oh, no, I you are not. Okay, good. The only thing, and I've often said this before, that that one could miss or not be there for is something going on with the bees because the bees really mm. are the most demanding of all of the homestead critters. Mm. That makes good sense. I have looked after my friend's place, and inevitably she chooses an early fall weekend to go away, and it, the temperatures drop erratically. And, yes, the bees have to be tended. They have to be covered, or it, 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 it's too cold for them, too early. And Yeah, things can happen so suddenly with them, and they need... And they need somebody there, and it's, as you said so correctly, it's unpredictable. Mm, mm. It's very hard to know what they're going to need or when you need to be there. But other than that, most of the things we do, we have a little leeway on at least. Agree. Thank you, goats. And I will say the goats give more leeway than the chickens also. I remember when I first started homesteading and you talked about chickens and, you know, the I don't know how, what words you used exactly, but there's a lot of death or fragility there. So the chickens are definitely um, more work than the goats. <laughs> they are, which yeah. is why it pays to have a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just pretty pointless to have a few because the fact of the matter is it's just about the same amount of work to have a hundred as it is to have ten. Hmm. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Right. Um. <laughs> but all that work you're doing, if you had a hundred chickens, you'd do exactly the same work. Hmm. Right. But you'd but you'd get a lot more reward from it. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. They aren't yeah. eating the chickens as meat chickens and they're egg chickens and, you know, they're not really hatching their own eggs. And so we're not really producing more chickens. It's really just about the starting number of chickens, some dwindling of the chickens and, you know, eggs. And it's interesting. I, yeah, it's just interesting. I, I, I don't know. It's surprising how life is not easy if you are a chicken. <laughs> life is not easy. Easy if you are a chicken. You are absolutely 
correct in many, <laughs> many, many ways. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Or any kind of bird. Mm. 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 And the songbirds still sound so sweet. You would never know from them. <laughs> that there were, there are so many things preying on them. Right. That's right. Wow. Well, I have success. Well, I've, I've sent the email, and I've also sent a few texts letting her know who's calling from this number and why. Why? Wow. So, Good. Hopefully, if she is available, she understands who's calling, and, and maybe she's right. available to talk with us. So let's see. Um, this um, Thursday, I'm going to be recording my Healthy Life show for March. I was recorded a couple of weeks early, so if there's any glitches or problems, we have a little leeway there. And it's going to be on Ashwagandha this year's theme is Herbs for Sleep, Perchance to Dream. And Ashwagandha is a very big dreaming herb. Hmm. It's not an herb that I have very much experience with. How about you? No, I do not. I remember once, without any experience, I for some reason gifted some to a friend, and she told me how horrible it tasted. (laughs) That's the only experience I have. (laughs) Ashwagandha means smells like a horse. Oh, goodness. Oh, what a gift I chose. <laughs> Indeed, right? <laughs> and people often comment on the smell of it, and it's often put in capsules because of that, because people apparently don't want to take the tincture mm. because of the smell. Wow, wow. So even imagine a whole cup of tea. Heavens. <laughs> So it's in the Solanaceae family, and most books will say that's the tomato family. And I found this one author who said, yes, it's the tomato family, and tobacco is in the family, and ashwagandha is more like tobacco than tomato. Oh, interesting. Yes, like most adaptogens, it is both stimulating and sedating. Hmm. I mean, that's, I find generally true of both herbal stimulants and herbal sedatives, is that they're not just one direction. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kava, of course, is the obvious one, where you take it and you can dance all night or you can take it and go to sleep. Right. Right. But, um, they talk about how ashwagandha is seen as a very um, male herb and something for men's problems. Mm. And so so the, it smells like, it like makes you like a stallion, right? Oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but then the esoteric use is as a sleeping herb, and it gives you really strong dreams. Wow. 
And I think about, you know, that Siberian chant. I think it's on Brook Medicine Eagles um, CD. Whirlwind, whirlwind, spin around me, spirit wind. Carry me where I will go. Show to me what I must know. Spirit wind, spirit wind, spin around me, spirit wind. And so the sense I get was ashwagandha being related to what else is in this family besides tobacco and tomato? Um, like eggplant? Eggplant, good. Oh. And belladonna? Mm. Mm. Uh-huh. Anything else you can think of? Oh, goodness. Why am I blanking? Um, hmm. Peppers. Oh, the right. That's why we don't, I, you know, I go for the red, not the green so much. Peppers and potatoes. Mm. And mm. henbane. And jimson weed. You will find some people who are actively afraid of the whole nightshade family. I that is definitely one of those food foible groups that people will, if they're having something they're trying to fix going on, they'll they experiment with no nothing from the Solanaceae family. I've heard that, <clears throat> but. Most people don't recognize goji berries or ashwagandha as being from that family. Wow, the goji berries is just the biggest surprise for me. Everything else on the list that that was not a surprise. It's like, oh, I should have I should have been able to say that. But goji berries, I had no idea. Apparently, the, that's the size the original tomatoes were. Wow. Wow, very interesting. My brother used to grow a tomato that was about that that size. Tinier than a cherry tomato, like real tiny. Oh, much, much tinier than cherry. Yeah, I've never heard of a tomato like that. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, which is why they're called a berry, right? Which is technically true, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Interesting. And um, so it makes me curious to see what ashwagandha would be like in a dream pillow. Mm. Knowing that it's got such a reputation with dream enhancement, I am definitely more curious than after hearing my friend tell me her thoughts after the tea. (laughs) She said. She said after drinking the tea, tastes yucky, right? I could not do this every day, kind of thing. Like, I wanted to do it again, right? I don't know. Yeah. I wonder. Do you think you could fall asleep with it under your pillow? I guess if you like valiant. I don't. I'm not so sure. Like exactly what the off smell or taste is. Mm. But it's always acceptable to mix in, like, lavender or lemon balm or rose petals, right? 
Ooh, I like that. Ooh, the rose petals. I don't know. For some reason, as soon as you said that, that sounded like... And again, those of you out there who know ashwagandha probably have far better opinions about this. I really, like, never spent any time with ashwagandha. Mm. Really. Just, I've read about it, but I haven't spent time with the plant. Mm. I haven't taken it. I haven't messed around with it. I haven't tried to grow it. So it's, um, ooh, what, what is this and what do people say about it? And, of course, it's an herb that's been used in India to relieve anxiety and insomnia for, take your pick, 2,000 years, 4,000 years, 6,000 years, 9,000 years, a while. And yet, if you look at the science there is no science that proves its ability to improve most people's sleep. Yeah. Okay. Things are more fun than their We had it wrong for thousands of years. Thank you, science, for setting us straight. Well, I don't think so. Mm-mm. <laughs> I don't really think so. And this, of course, is a lot about what we're going to see at the Red Clover Conference is this kind of fight between the traditional use of a plant and science who comes along and says it contains this constituent and therefore it does this, this, and this, none of which, as David Hoffman says, he says, all of the things they say about it are not supported by any case studies at all. Right, why does every every website say do not consume if pregnant or lactating? The standard answer is because we don't have enough studies proving it's safe. Oh, it's rhetorically insane. Yes, we do. Excuse uh, me. Yes. <laughs> oh literal lifetimes of studies like in I think I will do the same thing at the Red Clover conference that I did at the Hypericum conference and that is at the Zoom of each presenter I asked them how long they had been using the herb right in this case Red Clover and then I added all those years together for the Hypericum conference we represented 800 years of experience. Mm. Mm. Direct experience. Mm. Not like I read in a book it's supposed to. Like what I don't have with ashwagandha. All I have with ashwagandha is this book says this about it and this book says that about it and this other person says this about it. And that's all good and I'm good at you know finding that out and listening to different voices but the real authority is plant. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And then next Monday, I start my wisdom feed series on adaptogenic herbs, which will include ashwagandha. Fun. And we, uh, it's a, a five um, session series, Monday, Thursday, Monday, Thursday, Monday starting next Monday, and there should be some 
information coming out about it. If not, get in touch with us and we'll send you the information. It's through Wisdom Feed. And I really am enjoying doing the classes for Wisdom Feed. They capture them as audios, but the students get to have an audio-visual experience. Mm. Because we're doing it on Zoom. Zoom turns out to be a really good platform to record on. Yes. Oh, with ease. It's great. Yeah. And so the students get to see collages that I am making with the plants, which I am so enjoying. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. Integrating so many senses through the Zoom, that's really cool. Exactly. So, you know, some way to, it, you know, make it look like it's not just, you know, PowerPoint, even though I also want them to have, and I want to be able to see all the words this plant has been used to ba 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 I don't want to have to memorize it all. I want to be able to read it. And then it's there for them as participants in the class. They can go back to those screens and take a screenshot or whatever they want of it. Although some of them, of course, were my shots of pages from my books. Oh, that's nice bonus. And then I get to decorate the pages either with freeform drawings that I do or plant illustrations. I'm just really enjoying my online time. You know, COVID kind of rubbed our noses in it. And for many people, it's been not bad. Yeah, for sure. I love the way you said that, rubbed our noses in it. That was a pun, like probably in so many levels. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> thing and all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fun. Mm. Wow. So I first um got interested in adaptogenic herbs when I was looking for ways to support people who were being treated for cancer. And I had heard that in China it was considered malpractice to treat someone for cancer without giving them adaptogenic herbs. Mm -hmm. That the chemoprotective and radio-enhancing properties of the right adaptogenic herbs used as part of treatment protected cells against injury from chemotherapy and radiation and potentized the killing of cancer cells from the chemotherapy or radiation while protecting the liver. Wow. Mm. And that's, of course, exactly what we all want. And I have certainly seen this to be absolutely true. And so have thousands of other people. Adaptogens are now, it's almost like a, an ordinary word 
you know, the word adaptogen is a fairly recent word. It was uh, basically made up by Russians back in the 50s. Interesting. Now I feel like it's come so far in the last few years that now I'm hearing it used to make analogies to other things, like for practices that aren't an herb or a plant at all, but they'll, they'll almost attribute the practice to like an adaptogenic. I've heard it used as a direct analogy. It's, it's really interesting how far that term has come in such a short time. The previous term in herbal medicine was alterative. Hmm. And an alterative was something that gently alters the functioning of the body toward normal. Isn't that the first definition of an adaptogen? Seems like. Right? It neither stimulates what is overstimulated nor sedates what is oversedated, but instead stimulates what needs to be moved and sedates what is too fast. Mm-hmm. Ginseng, of course, being the perfect example of this because American ginseng especially, it grows on the north slopes of mountains. So in the heat of the summer, since it's in a deciduous forest, there are leaves on the tree and the ginseng is in the cool. And in the cold of the winter, the trees have no leaves and ginseng is in the full of the sun. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's amazing. Isn't it? story when I put two ginseng seeds on our property, I did not know that. But that is the one spot on our property where I put them. I must have and they are growing so oh my I'm like dancing inside that is so cool Mm. wow because I was so with my thinking line to put them underneath the maple cover but it would have been on like the total south side opposite of what you said part of the property and the only part on the north side that has this this, like that has this little group of trees and for some reason, I was just like, no, don't plant them under the maples on that side. There's way more, but no, back here under this grouping of trees. That is so cool. That is so cool, yes. Oh, what a powerful seed. Like, I, like I'm sure somehow holding that in my hand, it was, the message was received. It was sent in yes. the How beautiful. Like, that's plants talking, everyone. That's, that's just that's plants talking, you know. They put they put images in their in your mind. They put, you know, prickles in your feet. They put mm-hmm. your heart nicely, nicely jerk your heart. Come yes. here, come here. <laughs> mm. So well, thank you, Susan. I loved hearing that little nugget. <laughs> yes, and for years. I would always use as an example, you know, it's the ginseng root you want. You would be upset if someone gave you ginseng leaf when I was talking about echinacea and people using echinacea leaf. And then it turns out that the further south you get, the further deeper into ginseng country, or that I'm about as far north as ginseng's really good. Um, and there's still some in the Catskills. The, the grannies use the leaves. Mm. 
And I heard story after story about the granny saying, I need me some tonic, boys. Go out and get some ginseng. We'll sell the root and pay the taxes, and then we'll have the leaves for our medicine. And I'm like, what? Wait. (laughs) And then the, like, scientists started looking at the leaves, and there's, like, 20 new ginsenicides in the leaves that that aren't in the roots. Oh, wow. Uh, as well, of course, it's probably because you're probably consuming more of it, probably more nourishment as well. Ah. Mm. Mm. So, so back in the 50s, the Russians wanted to be bigger, stronger, faster, smarter than everybody in the world. That was their goal. And so they set up a scientific group to study how to be bigger, stronger, faster, smarter, have more endurance. And they said, amphetamines. Amphetamines make you faster and stronger and smarter. Wow. Unfortunately, they're addictive. Yeah. Unfortunately, like, oh, excuse me, nothing good, really. And they said, okay, that's true. Nothing good, really. So I wonder if there's a plant amphetamine. And as they kind of searched around and asked people and searched the literature, what they decided was plant and feminine was ginseng. Wow. But as they studied ginseng, they realized it wasn't. And so they made this whole new word for it that's an adaptogen, that it helps the body adapt to stress and to ward off the effects of chronic stress, as well as bringing more oxygen to the muscles, allowing you to work harder, longer, and stronger, bringing more oxygen to the brain, allowing you to concentrate more, think more clearly, be smarter. This is just what they wanted, right? They wanted to be Superman. And this is what Jin Singh said, I can do it. I will make you Superman. Wow. And of course, that was also Jin Singh's reputation, wasn't it? it was. This was the herb in China that was reserved for the emperor. And the emperor would take Jin Singh and would then have sex with little girls. Ugh. Not good. Not good. But that was kind of the reputation, as a matter of fact. My friend Betsy, who edits my books, was asked to edit a book by an MD. I'm not going to mention his name. You would know it. About herbs. And she said, I can't edit this book about herbs unless I have the help of my friend Susan Reed. You have to fly me to her house. And they agreed. So Betsy came to my house, and we spent two weeks doing our best to edit this book, but it was really uneditable because it was so non-connected. Oh. I guess that's the best way to say it. So, you know, it's, it, what made me think about it was ginseng. That says, ginseng is your typical male herb. No woman should ever take it. And I go, what's he based this on? 
he bases this on the Chinese dictum that no woman is allowed to take ginseng because it's only for the emperor. Yo, even common men weren't allowed to take it. It's like, ah, of course it works for women, Mm. especially for women in menopause and especially for women who are enduring radiation or chemotherapy. Mm. It is phenomenally radioprotective. Wow. So we're going to be looking at ginseng in our first class on adaptogens. We're going to be looking at American ginseng and Chinese ginseng and Korean ginseng. We're going to be looking at the differences between red ginseng and white ginseng and wild ginseng and cultivated ginseng. And I'll share some stories of going out saying something, both in the Catskills and in the Appalachians, and the mystery and the lore that is attached to this most fascinating plant so much so that worldwide any root that possibly can cause itself ginseng. Mm. Ashwagandha has been called Indian ginseng. Wow. And aren't there, when I worked at a supplement store, there were a vitamin store selling supplements, they um, talked about there's so many laws that you're not allowed to call it ginseng anymore unless it comes from certain places. I mean, no, unless, it's, unless it's a Panax. Right, a Panax, right, right. It can be Panax. It can be Panax chinensis, Chinese ginseng. It can be Panax uh, quincofolia, American ginseng. Right, and it can be processed. It can be turned red, da-da-da. But it has to be Panax to be called right. ginseng. Right, mm-hmm. so Eleutherococcus, Siberian ginseng, now we call it Eleuthero. That's the one. That is the one. Because I always thought Siberian ginseng, but it's not even. It's not a Panax. It's not a Panax, so not a lot. It's related to it, though. Mm. Wow. It's in the same family. It's not in the same genus, but it is in the same family. Interesting. Right. So that's that was where they turned next. Because they realized that, well, if they were going to have like a nation of supermen, it was going to be very expensive. Because to buy that much ginseng, whoa, you know, a really old ginseng root supposedly was once sold for its weight in gold. Well, that's kind of rare, but nonetheless, if you go to Chinatown, you will see you can pay a pretty penny for ginseng, depending on what you want and what it looks like and how old it is. When I first started studying herbal medicine, everybody knew that you didn't even bother with ginseng root unless it was 10 years old. Mm. And you can see in the stalk, the leaf scars, you really do know how old it is. It's not just taking somebody's word for it. It's right there on the on the root. And then... You know, that was back in the 60s and the 70s. By the 80s, you had to have ginseng roots that was at least seven years old or don't even bother. Mm. Right? 
Right. And by the time we got into the 90s and the, the 20s, well, come on, you know, you wouldn't want ginseng root that was that was anything less than five years old, and now the standard is three years old. That's what I hear, three. Mm. Now, this so is, is definitely a perennial root that increases in its constituents, its genocides especially, and in its abilities, the older it is, that ginseng root that sold for its weight in gold was supposed to be very old, very old ginseng root. Wow. That means sound like a silly question, but I, the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of tripping myself to go either way. So you mentioned the leaves. So would this be true of the leaves too? They would need the older root in order to get those really intense constituents or aged constituents delivered up into the leaves, or would leaves of a newer plant be... Why don't why don't you report back to us? Oh, well, I'd have to find a real old plant with real old leaves. But <laughs> well, you can just start eating young leaves, you know, now, and as the plants get older, you'll be able to compare. Well, there you go. That's fun. I can just keep a diary. This year, there should be... Keep a, a diary. What a great idea. Your ginseng diary. Fun. Oh. Nice. Oh, I love. Oh. <laughs> we haven't even talked about those beautiful red seeds. Mm. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I'm so excited that you're the seeds that you planted, crew. How marvelous! Oh, so yeah, so that's what, that's what they turned to. They said, "All right, you know, ginseng, you're swell, but wow, you were just out of our price range. How about Eleutherococcus centicosis?" Mm. And I'm not going to be talking about Eleutherococcus in the adaptogens course as like a star because I already talked about it in the Nourishing Herbal Infusions course. We ended the Nourishing Herbal Infusions course with two adaptogens. In fact, I think all the Nourishing Herbal Infusions are adaptogens, but we'll let they go for now. With two known adaptogens, Astragalus and Eleutherococcus, because they are so delicious as Nourishing Herbal Infusions. And so well known and used. Have you used either astragalus or eleuthero as an infusion? Astragalus, absolutely, absolutely. It, I mean, it defines adaptogen for me because that's my most um, abundant experience in consuming and enjoying an adaptogen. And astragalus needs that in so many ways. I just feel it's so. I don't know, I almost want to use the word foundational when I take it in because it makes me feel as if my foundation is very resilient in, in a lot of ways. So the way you, you said, just bringing things back to, to wholeness, I guess, is just, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I have not tried... Getting out of control gets calmed down. Oh. What's, you know, sitting around depressed gets moved about... Uh-huh. And another one of their um, definitions of adaptogen was that it should be harmless in any dose. Yeah. Yeah, I can eat as much of it as I want. I can load it up in hummus and have a whole bowl of hummus and no weird effects, not even tired of the taste. It's just so, it's, oh, it's so friendly. It's just, 
Mm, like I said, for me, that just is my big intro and experience with adaptogen. And I feel like a struggle is to find adaptogen to me in, in so many ways. Like, yeah. Now, people would say, well, some people get, like, upset tummy from ashwagandha. Mm. Or some people, if they take too much ginseng, get really like, and so I say, well, gee, maybe they're not really so much adaptogens as we've been led to believe. Maybe we're overlooking the adaptogens right in our backyard, like stinging nettle and red clover and oat straw. One of the things that really attracted me to oat straw was reading that in the special part of Ayurvedic medicine called uh, Rasayanas, the study of longevity, that oat straw was considered the elixir of long life. I could believe that. Absolutely. And I said, what is this oat straw stuff? <laughs> and so again, these the nourishing herbal infusions are herbs that are so common and ordinary and that don't have all the cachet of rishi and ginseng and all of the kind of big name adaptogens but I think that in the most basic ways that they certainly meet all the definitions of adaptogens harmless in any dose you know, bring down what's up too far, bring up what's down too far, and have a overall effect of strengthening and bringing oxygen to all of the tissues. And that feels to me exactly like what the nourishing herbal infusions do. Mm, agreed. And I feel totally safe suggesting them for premature infants, 125-year-old women, and everybody in between have an organ transplant, fine, drink nourishing herbal infusions, autoimmune condition, great, drink nourishing herbal infusions. They work for everybody. Mm-hmm. Because they're nourishment. And we're all human beings with cells that need to be nourished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And wow, that is so true. You can feel them entering your cells. <laughs> they are just, mm, they're meant to nourish ourselves. It's like a perfect match. Original keys, I think. You and Eagle Song, I've heard you talk about it like that. And like, oh, yeah. you feel yourselves. Oh, grateful to open up and let them in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I always kind of don't know quite quite what to say when people say, oh, well, I don't like the taste of this infusion or that infusion. Like, the first thing I want to say is, well, learn to like it. But okay. what I used to say is, find a way to like it. And certainly what I found for myself in this long road coming back from really no digestive capacity at all was take it sip by sip, Susan. Don't, don't push yourself to take too much. And really, you know, what do you need? Do you need some honey with it? Do you need some fruit juice with it? Do you need it warmed up? Really bring it into yourself in a way that's very loving and kind to yourself. Mm. What a beautiful spaciousness you offered yourself. That's lovely. 
And if you want to put some mint in your red clover, do it. It's because it's tannic. Mm. And it doesn't have to be very much mint. I just put a pinch. It really, really does cut that tannic taste. The same thing with the comfrey. Right. The tiniest little bit of mint in the comfrey, and suddenly it's much more pleasant. Don't mm. go overboard with it. The red clover I love just as is. Oh, it is my favorite. I love red clover. I feel like I could drink two quarts at a time sometimes. And, of course, there's hardly any red clover on the market this winter. I know. I'm so grateful that I accidentally ordered two pounds last summer. Yay! Yay! Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy that I harvested so much red clover last year. Wow. Uh, you know, I remembered I harvested for my first time ever, and I still have a beautiful bag of red clover, a paper bag. It's in my cabinet, and so I'll be making that for myself. Put, put it in the freezer. Oh, interesting. Okay. There are insect eggs in those blossoms. Oh, no. And they will hatch and eat your beautiful flowers. Oh, no. Well, I better Stick them that. in the freezer. Okay, I will do that. Yes. Okay. Because it's really enough to make an herbalist cry when you pull out your red clover bag and all this, like, fine little... That would be so sad. She's at the bottom of the sack. Did you know that there's no red clover left in there at all? Oh, my gosh. That would be so <laughs> sad. Because they are beautiful blossoms. <laughs> right. So sad. It's like, wait, 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 wait. I didn't want to share with you. <laughs> oh. I was mine. So keep it in the freezer. That's okay. what I Yes. Okay. Or if it's really dry, I just actually stuff it in plastic bags and put it in the freezer. Mmm. Nice. Okay. Right. If I was, you know, a more methodical woman, I would weigh it. I would weigh out a whole ounce in a bag and put it in the freezer. So I would only have to do that once. But I do not have time to do that. Thank you. I'll weigh it. I weigh it when I need to weigh it. Okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Someone came in today and exclaimed over the beautiful display of all the gorgeous birthday cards. So thank you, and thank you, and thank you, and thank you, and you, and you, and you, and everybody who sent birthday cards and bandanas and fun, fun, fun things. There's a card with a hummingbird on it. There's a card with a fairy on it. There's a card with butterflies on it. There's a card with uh, seals on it. There's lots of cards with hearts on them and lots of cards with flowers on them and several cards with wolves on them. Mm -hmm. And there's a card that is gold embossed and says XOXOXO. Oh, sweet. Wow. <laughs> so, and as you recall, Aquariuses have decided that we are taking the entire month of February. We know that there's some other sign that wants the latter part of the month, and we'll share it. Okay. We don't mind. But we're taking over February because we're Aquariuses, and we need an entire month to celebrate. You deserve it. <laughs> oh, well, I'm leaving those cards up till the end of the month. Yeehaw. And then they have to disappear. And they're all over my jigsaw puzzle, so I don't get to work a jigsaw. <laughs> Except, of course, online. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Jigsaw puzzles online where I can take them on an airplane and not have to worry about losing the pieces. Ah. Uh, right. That's so good. <laughs> wow. Uh, that's news to me. I had no idea there was such a thing. Fun. Yeah. Didn't know. Had no clue. Yep. Sounds yep. cool. And, of course, it, you know, there's lots of uh, choices. You can have a, a a puzzle with a few pieces, a puzzle with a lot of pieces. You can have uh, the pieces oriented correctly or the pieces all tossed about. Mm, that sounds fun. I wonder if they have slide puzzles. You could probably find that. Um, there's a couple of places that do jigsaw puzzles, and most of them give you a free puzzle every day. Oh, I like it. Yeah, and um, as well as other free puzzles. And there's also, of course, sites, most of them free, where you can play other games like Sudoku and Crossword and um, all kinds of games that I haven't seen what you're calling the slide thing. The slide puzzle is like where it might be a board of nine squares and one of the holes is empty. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you know what I'm saying. I, I do. I haven't, I haven't seen that. That doesn't mean it isn't Got there. It. Got it. It's just it's not on any of the puzzle pages that I'm familiar with. Maybe there's a, maybe it's its own app. Mm-hmm. I'm going to check, check all of the above out. That sounds very fun. These are good for your brain. Mm-hmm. These are very good for your brain. Do not spend your entire life doing this. I spend a little time every day with some number puzzles or some word puzzles or some image puzzles, something that makes you go, I'll never be able to do this. It's too hard, and then you can do it. Yes. It's such a tremendous thing. It's just, oh, it just gives you that, yeah, so when you're faced with that out in life, it's like, oh, God, I can't do this. You go, sure you can. Just give it a try. That's right. And you also, I also see, and studies confirm, that people get a lot more persistent if they've been playing games. Yeah. If they know, oh, well, you know, gee, I failed. I'll just try again. Oh, I failed. I'll just try again. If I just keep trying, I'll win. Yeah. And isn't that really like what you have to do as a homesteader? Yes. Oh, yes. Especially homesteader with chickens. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you were to give up at the first setback, well, poo on you, really. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Live and learn. You cannot give up. You cannot give up. You cannot give up. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did hear from Brandy. She she replied to my text and let me know that, yes, she, she now will know the number and she uh, will listen for the call when we're ready for her to join. Well, shall we give her a call now? Uh, sure. Now, um, I'm, I'm adding a third call to this, so everybody, you may disappear for people as well. I don't know what happens when I hit add call, so I will add her now and dial it up just as quickly as possible. See what happens. All righty, here we go.
Hi, Brandy. This is Sarah and Susan on the Blog Talk Show. Beautiful. I love that. All right. So I was under the impression you guys were calling it 5.55. Are we starting early? Is that? Yes. We have been having uh, some technical difficulties. Perfect. So we thought we would, since you're there, just go ahead and talk to you. It's just been Sarah Ellen and I talking. No one's been able to call in. So usually it's a call-in show. But I would very, very much ask you, please, not to call me a guy. Please not to call. Oh, 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 I, sorry, I didn't mean to say guys. I just, you guys, I was already meaning as men. So my apologies. Thank you so much. It's actually been kind of a hobby horse of mine for over 30 years. I've been telling women that if they call each other guys and allow themselves to be called guys, that they'll lose their reproductive rights because guys don't need reproductive rights. Ah, gotcha. Interesting. Very interesting. And look at what has happened, huh? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Stop calling each other guys. I think it's really important. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Let me introduce you. Brandy Gilmore is a researcher and body-mind healing expert who's been captivating audiences worldwide with her incredible ability to demonstrate radical healing using only the mind. She's shown visual proof of the power of the mind using medical thermal imaging. Due to these breakthrough results, her case studies have been published in a prestigious medical journal, and she's also delivered a mind-expanding TEDx talk and been featured in several documentaries. Brandy's groundbreaking discoveries stemmed from her own debilitating injury. After an accident in 2003, left her disabled in excruciating pain and without hope of recovery, Brandy began searching for a cure. Through years of exploring every avenue for healing, Brandy eventually discovered obscure research that changed the course of her life and resulted in her complete recovery now. She's releasing her brand new cutting-edge book, Master Your Mind and Energy to Heal Your Body, where she shares the hidden research that was the key to her success. Several researchers and doctors have referred to Brandy's new book as a must-read. It holds an incredible missing key to healing. The reality is our minds possess an extraordinary ability to heal far beyond the placebo effect. And Brandy's new book helps the reader understand the missing link to mind-body healing and provides simple step-by-step process on how we can all access this hidden healing potential of our own minds. Welcome to the show, Brandy. Thank you. It is so wonderful to be here. It is so wonderful to connect with you. And, um, And thank you. And thanks so much for being willing to come on a little bit early. There's so much that we want to talk to you about. We thought we would just take advantage of your willingness to do that. I'm especially interested because I just finished creating with my daughter, the videographer, a um, 90 video series on relieving chronic pain. Oh, wow. I love that. I and love that. I, I, did it, I did it through the um, mirror of the seven medicines. Okay. 
serenity medicine, story medicine, mind medicine, lifestyle medicine, alternative medicine, pharmaceutical medicine, and deep medicine. And most of us start our pain journey at deep medicine. We're in an accident. There's a trauma. We're operated on. We're irradiated. We're given chemotherapy. There's a war. We are hurt. And what modern medicine suggests that we do for that is take drugs or engage in more deep medicine, more surgery. And what I propose is that we go back. We go from the drugs to alternative medicine and from that back to lifestyle medicine and from that back to mind medicine. Uh, You know, absolutely. And uh, as far as the medicine of the mind, I have to say it, it works so much more incredible than I ever could have believed when I got into my my accident, my injury. So it's uh, life changing. So tell us, tell us about that, please. You were in horrible shape, I hear. Uh, absolutely, I, I have to say this is literally the last thing I ever thought I would be doing. So I, I used to do network engineering and operations, and basically I had an accident, and technically two accidents. I had a car accident and then a fall accident. And I fell just wrong, just right, however you want to say it. But I ended up uh, wheelchair walker, cane for over six and a half years. My doctor said that I wasn't going to um, heal. There, there was nothing else they could do for me. And, um, and I was on morphine every day, just, just in extreme pain, nerve ablations, infusions, injections. It was just, it was all a mess. And, um, and so it led me on the journey of trying, you know, diet and supplements and everything that I could to heal. And when that didn't work, I reached further and further outside of the box and uh, eventually found the power of the mind to heal, which is literally the last thing that I, you know, I thought with my condition, I thought it's going to take a lot more than just the mind to heal my body. But uh, it, it's just, it's incredible when we stop and look at the real power of the mind to heal. Well, the the phrase that I use for the first medicine, which is serenity medicine, is pain is resistance. Interesting. Interesting. I, interesting. Um, interesting. In any place there's pain, it's because there's a blockage, because there's a resistance. And that's one of the things that we can do with our mind, because when we get to story medicine, then we learn that pain has a language. Hmm. And that That's the way we language pain has a lot to do with how we experience it. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. So, so when think- we come when we come to mind medicine, then when we're told pain is not in your mind but it is in your brain and because of neuroplasticity you can change your brain Yes, we can absolutely change our brains. I think one of the things that was most shocking to me as I started understanding how to use my mind and how to heal myself was even the awareness of multiple personality disorder, where a person can have completely different illnesses when they're in different personalities. They could have back pain in one personality and headaches in another and asthma in another and allergies in the different or even a a personality that's completely pain-free and completely healthy and they could switch between these and it was even a a study of a of a woman who 
was blind, who was medically blind in some personalities and not others. And, and, it, and so it really made me look at the power of the mind and how to get radical results and the changes and, and what needed to happen to get results. And so it's just, um, yeah, I think it's just uh, it's eye-opening, you know, when you stop and think about uh, that power of the mind. So why don't we all have that power? Are we barking up the wrong tree? You know, th- this is what I've found in, in my work. And what I've done is, is that was really insightful as far as multiple personalities. And, I, and then I also was looking at information objectively and saying, okay, well, I know that, of course, some people can be stressed or have a, you know, PTSD even, and yet they don't have any health issues, while others can feel like there's less stress. And they can have all kinds of health issues. And what I began to realize is just a certain combination of emotions or certain mindset. And, and so MPD was really, really helpful in my research to understanding that different mindsets have uh, different illnesses. And, and that was really pivotal. And so when I even, you know, after even healing myself, I wanted to show people that we really could heal using our own minds. And so I, I started showing it under medical equipment where I'd take somebody who's experiencing chronic pain and show them how to shift their mindset. And you could see it under medical equipment where the pain would go. And, and so uh, it's, it's incredible. And so I would, I would say that we're... The pain is not in your, in your mind, but it is in your brain and only in your brain. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, uh, that's an interesting, uh, I would say this, I would say that the way I see it, because I have even worked with people uh, with, you know, uh, all kinds of things, even uh, paralyzed body parts, or uh, their body's not making enough blood, or um, a tumor, or RA, um, rheumatoid arthritis, or all kinds of things. And, and I would say that really the influence the body has or the brain has, is more so neurological, that when we stop and think about it, every part of the brain is connected to every part of the body. So just like if somebody has a stroke, a right brain stroke affects the left side of the body, or a left brain stroke affects the right side of the body. And so how I began to look at it is where are those emotions firing in the brain, and where and how are they impacting the body? Because, I mean, somebody could have a stroke in their brain, and yet it could paralyze the body. And so I don't see it just being just in the head. Um, and that's what I've been able to show under medical equipment is that, you know, let's say somebody has neck pain. And so you can see on the scan that, that they have neck pain. You know, on these thermal medical scans, you can see if somebody has neck pain, it, it lights up as red. And then I'm where, where does it light up red? Ah. Uh, Basically, this, this is what happens. So, is it in the brain? No, on the physical body. And so, uh, an easy way to so picture you're it is on their neck. Their neck is red. Uh, yeah. So, an easy way to picture it is like this: is that if a person has maybe like a sprained ankle or an infection or any type of illness, it generates heat from the body. And so, medical thermal imaging is in a very, very advanced way to basically monitor this heat from illness or infection. 
And so what will happen is let's say somebody has neck pain or back pain or any type of pain. I've worked with um, various met various doctors with this, but uh, Dr. Hillary Smith is the first one I actually did this research study with. And what would happen is she's been doing thermography for many years, and she will scan people who are experiencing some type of physical pain. And let's say with neck pain, it would come up on the scan where it shows all this heat from the, from the neck where, it's, you know, the neck is all red on the scan. And then what will happen is I'll show somebody how to use their mind to release the pain. And you can see the skin change in real time from red to green as their pain goes away. You ask them, what's your level of I pain? I love it. Oh, my gosh. Can it's you incredible. tell us how to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That, I, I, I actually even uh, had some of these case studies published in a medical journal uh, last year. And, and so it's just, it's incredible. And so what, it, what I love is it shows it's not just mind over matter. It's not just positive thinking or pretending like it's not there. You can see real physiological changes taking place. So what do you do? What do you teach them? What I teach them is this, is, you know, very simply, if we put it like this, if we say different emotions affect the body differently. So... If somebody's embarrassed, their face turns red. Or panic attack, anxiety, somebody can have anxiety. Or even if we think about things like broken heart syndrome, a person can actually even die from a broken heart. Or sexual thoughts, sexual physical response is different for men or women, but there's a sexual response. You know, there's a physical response that goes on. And so we can see that different emotions have very different physical reactions. And so when I started looking at emotions and saying, okay, well, initially I thought, well, I need a lot more than emotions to to heal my body. But then again, you know, looking at even the widowhood effect where a senior could lose a spouse and die, we can see that emotions can even impact us to the point of death. And I thought, well, what happens to all of these other emotions? What about abandonment or hurt or rejection or anger or all of these other things? What's happening with these? And so basically what I do in these situations when I'm working with people is I just help them to identify the specific emotion that's impacting them and help them to shift it. And as they change their mindset, it changes their pain. It's just like if somebody's having a panic attack and then you take the emotion of panic and you calm it down, the panic attack goes away. And similarly, you identify the specific emotions that are connected to the pain and you change them, and it creates a radical change. How so, do you identify the emotion? Does it just come to one? Do we just kind of ask the pain, and it says, oh, I'm connected to this feeling of abandonment or that feeling of something else? Well, I, one of the reasons I'm asking you is I worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and pretty much at that point, all she was doing was working with people's rage because she really felt that of, and she was very severe about emotions. She only allowed us five emotions, and she said everything else is just a subset or a, a you know a fake out for the real emotion. Um, and she said that of all the emotions, the one that people really have the hardest time expressing is their rage and anger. Hmm. So I don't. I, I have not found the same thing to be true in mine. Uh, I so the way that I see it 
is it's very, very, very specific. And I would say the more specific, the better. And that's been a key for me being able to get results. And even part of the reason that I've shown it under medical equipment like this is first and foremost, I wanted people to see that there are real changes taking place. Because basically after I healed, people started asking me to speak on stage. And then from stage, I would take volunteers who are experiencing physical pain and show them how to release it and, and get rid of it. And I thought to myself, I thought someday somebody's going to think, well, that can't be real. That's fake. That's a plant. They're, that, they're pretending. And, um, and that probably would have been me because I was world's biggest skeptic before. And so, so, that would have been, so I was like, I have to show this under medical equipment. Now, part of the reason that I also do it in such a short period of time is because I don't want anybody to think there's anything else that's interfering. You know, somebody with neck pain, they might say, oh, well, I worked out, or, oh, I got a new pillow, or, oh, I got, you know, whatever. And so to me, showing it under medical equipment consecutively real time has been very powerful. And the key to doing that has been to really dial in the specific pattern because to me, specifics is everything. And the more detailed you get, the better. And, um, and so that's been a huge key. And so you wouldn't want to say, oh, I, this pain comes from my being angry. You would say this pain comes from my being angry at so-and-so who did so-and-so. Um, I think one way to put it, I think um, – is like this. Okay, so in the study that I did, uh, there can be a feeling. So multiple people, there was, you know, mostly multiple different emotions going on. One person may have a feeling of resistance towards others because they might have a feeling of resistance towards others because they feel like they're not safe, right? So one person that I worked with is like, I I don't want to talk to my husband. He's been mean. He's been blah, blah, blah. So I just don't want to talk to him, and I'm going to resist him, right? Now, another person felt like they wanted to resist authority. Like, like, okay, so I have a resistance towards authority. I don't want to listen to authority. And so there's a different feeling of resistance. Now, what happens is for each person to really resonate with and understand and relate to the emotion and say, oh, I see that I have this pattern, because it's always a patterned way of thinking and feeling. And, and to me, anger is too broad. I mean, a lot of times people really feel anger because they feel hurt underneath, or they feel anger be- and because they feel unsafe underneath, or they feel, and so there's, there's, there's layers to that. And, and it's really about getting to the, the core layer. And I guess a simple way to explain it is this, you know, if we think about things like um, repetition, compulsion, or reenactment, you know, Freud's work, if, or even if we simplify and we think of patterned ways of, like, one person might have a pattern of feeling guilt. Another person may have a pattern of self-criticism or shame or anger or abandonment or rejection or whatever it is. So we have patterned ways of thinking and feeling. And basically, when we look at these patterned ways of thinking and feeling, that is where the real 
change needs to occur. And so even in these situations, if somebody gets rid of their uh, uh, angry about a situation, but they don't change the pattern, then it's still going to come back. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So it's specific, but the specific shows us what the pattern is. It's specific, but this is, yes. So we look at what is the specific emotion, and then we look at exactly that, is what is that pattern? And so even, you know, earlier I worked with a woman who had had a pattern of feeling like an imposter. She felt like a fraud. She was never going to be good enough, and that was her pattern. And so what happened is then even since, you know, age six, then she sure and not good enough and critical of herself and then in college and then in relationship and then in career. And then like that pattern continues and it was very much part of, and I see that, you know, that, that can be a common pattern. And so, um, and so I would say these underlying emotional patterns where somebody might have a pattern of feeling not good enough, all of these patterns, they can very much affect our health and affect us and keep us from healing. Yes. And it's, it's not ju- people often say to me, oh, you have such a good attitude, that's why you've healed so well. <laughs> but, but it's not attitude. It's my, exactly what you're saying, it's my willingness to look at my patterns. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. That's what people people always say to me. Well, Brandy, of course you're so happy. You got your life back. And I say, wait a second. Of course I got my life back because I programmed myself to feel happy at a deep, deep level. Absolutely. And, you know, even on that note, one of the things that I really started looking at is the combination of emotions was really important. And one way to illustrate this is, you know, I could see people who even had, you know, there are studies of people who have PTSD who aren't necessarily sick. And there are other people who, you know, don't have PTSD and less emotions and they have more sickness. And the way I started looking at it was like um, different emotional ingredients, if you will. And an easy way to mm-hmm. think of it, if somebody wants to make cake and they have flour, they can't make cake, but if they mix it with flour with eggs and butter, vegan eggs and butter and other ingredients and so forth, now they can make cake. And so if they make different ingredients, it's a different recipe. And so that's ultimately what I started looking at is what is the combination of emotions and then transforming those. And one of those combinations that is very common is simply a feeling of optimism and it goes beyond just positive thinking, but actually really feeling optimistic. And, and in fact, one research study after another has shown that optimism can help us live longer. I mean, 15, 15% studies show that we can live about 15% longer than people who are most optimistic or that people who are optimistic have about a 50% less chance of cardiovascular disease or um, even studies of, of people after surgery faster and people who are in fearful states and anger or upset feel a lot slower and have a lot higher chance of, of rehospitalization and, and all of these things. And so 
Um, and so that, to me, it, it's the, the combination of ingredients, has, of emotional ingredients, if you will, has been the key. Combination of emotional ingredients. Wow. Before we get too much further, and I definitely want to go further, let, please let people know um, about your book and how they can get it and if they want to get in touch with you, what the best way to do that is. Absolutely. My book is called Master Your Mind and Energy to Heal Your Body. And um, you can buy it anywhere that books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. And the best way to connect with me is through my website, brandygilmore.com. And Gilmore is with two L's. And one of the things that's really great, as I mentioned earlier, the thermography. And on my website, there's the, a video of me actually working with somebody under thermal medical equipment. So you can see uh, just how incredible our minds really are. Amazing. Oh, my gosh. So when you were first reading about this or hearing about this, I think you said that you thought it wouldn't apply to you. Oh, you well, yes. Very, very much so. The idea of healing with the mind didn't seem realistic to me at all initially. But since I had no other options, also I started researching the placebo. And it was amazing how many things that the placebo could affect. And I thought, well, if our minds have the ability to affect our physical health, if our minds have that ability, then I have to figure out how does this work? And it led me down this rabbit hole of the last thing I thought could be was emotions. But when you start to really look at the impact of emotions, the, I mean, literally, the, they can actually affect us to the point of death. We just start to realize that we haven't been taking them seriously enough. I mean, they're not really anywhere in our medical system. And yet they can have such a significant impact on our health and our life. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there is a text that you talk about, which is DS Mind Test. What is that? That is a very, very ridiculous test that I do. It's a little, it's an, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, it is a simple but silly exercise. Well, that, can we do it? Absolutely, and I'm going to warn you ahead of time. It is simple, and it is silly, but it's also really profound. All right. Okay. What do I need? Do I need a pencil, paper, a quiet At- place? <laughs> I love you. You're just so great. You're so great. Um, uh, just just your mind, just imagination. Okay. okay. So, uh, so here we go. So remember, it's simple, it's silly, but afterwards, We'll talk about why it is profound because it's probably different than most people think. So here we go. All right. So, uh, so I'm going to ask you just for a moment to breathe. And I'm going to invite you just closing your eyes and taking a nice deep breath. Taking a nice deep breath. And I'm going to ask you to breathe, and I want you to picture yourself. You're sitting at the table, and somebody you love 
is making you your favorite meal ever. Somebody you love is making you your favorite meal ever. And I want you to notice how that feels, how you would feel if somebody you love is making you your favorite meal ever. Just notice how that feels. And I'm going to ask you to breathe. And I'm going to ask you to set aside that vision, to just let that go and set it and set it free and, uh, and open your eyes. And we're going to do one more vision. And here we go. And so I'm going to ask you to breathe and completely separate. I'm going to ask you to breathe. And I'm going to ask you to picture yourself. Picture that you have a spoon in your hand. And you take that spoon and you take a big scoop of slimy worms and you bring it towards your mouth to eat it. And I'm going to ask you to notice what feeling comes up for you. And delete, 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 delete. (laughs) Delete, delete, let that go. But I want you to notice, if I asked you what feeling came up for you, what feeling would you say that is? And just notice the feeling that came up. Now, this is why it's profound. Okay, so a few things. Are you with me? I'm with you. Okay, so a few things. First and foremost, and again, Profound, silly, but profound. Number one, if you really go into this vision, it could make a person feel like they want to get, where we can see that imagined emotions that aren't even true can affect our physical body and our physical reflexes just from this feeling. Now, another thing that is very profound is this, is that we're programmed to feel this way, meaning our ancestors and, and there are plenty of, of cultures that have liked to eat worms, that feel like worms can be a delicacy in some places. And, and even in history and, and throughout years of people eating worms. So we're programmed to feel this way. Now, what is profound is this, is I could meditate for the next 10, 20, 30, 50 years, and I'm not going to change this programming unless I specifically look at this programming and I change it because it's just programmed information. That's somebody else, if I said, oh, somebody else is eating worms, somebody else might say, oh, my gosh, I've been hungry all day. This is a delicacy. I'm so happy to have that. And so my point is, is that I spent years and years and years, and I see this with people all of the time, who are overlooking what they need to do to heal themselves because they're just looking at general information. So earlier when I said the more specific we can be, the better, because then we can identify what emotional pattern is triggering us that's affecting our physical body, and we can change that. And that has been the key to getting results and radical results, where I've seen people heal from all kinds of things. And so using this example, if somebody said, oh, gosh, I have this feeling of disgust that is causing me to feel gaggy. Let me change that. Then they create that change and they feel better. So what happens is we might have a patterned way of feeling angry or a patterned way of feeling hurt or resentful or guilt or whatever it is. 
that's impacting our pain or our physical health or inflammation or whatever it is, and we just don't realize that this subconscious way of thinking and feeling is affecting our physical health. But when we just identify it and transform it, that's when we can get real change. Does that make sense? (laughs) That makes absolute sense, definitely. Beautiful. And I warned you, it was ridiculous. I, I war- but, it, but it's so profound. <laughs> when we think about it, you know, if you think about a, a, a one-year-old, they might sit there and just eat worms because they don't, they haven't yet had that programming where mom comes by and says, ew, nasty, yucky, don't eat that. You know? <laughs> and then it sticks. It sticks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, it was very interesting to notice that my granddaughter was very easily able to tell poisonous plants from edible plants without anybody having to point them out to her. And she would point them out to me, and she would say, don't eat this one, Grandma. This one tastes bad. Oh, wow. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Very, that is beautiful. Very clear to her. I don't don't know if she ever, you know, um, had enough worms <laughs> you know exactly uh, and but she but but her father was a chef instructor at the Culinary Institute of America and by the time she was four he said you know you have a broader palate than most of the 20 year olds in my classes <laughs> she was simply introduced to a huge variety of different foods and nobody ever said that anything was ucky to her so she never got the idea that there was any food that wasn't okay, no matter how you know what it or how that is how such much, a dream. friends didn't eat it. <laughs> Anyhow, I think this is a very um, exciting for people, but at the same time, um, I think that they're like wondering, okay, well, um, yeah, how do I change my disgust at eating worms? Come on. <laughs> First and foremost, you you uh, instead picture yourself having a most wonderful, wonderful meal, and uh, and 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 really, really feel that and feel love around it. So that's number one. Stop and look at it for a moment. So what I did in my life, I had a neurological disorder. So I started asking the question. So my nervous system had an abnormal response. And I started looking at it, and I was, you know, at the time I was researching everything I could, from medical journals to neuroscience to uh, metaphysics and quantum physics, I mean, everything. And Louise Hay and just all of these different, um, you know, uh, Florence Scovel Shin and, and, and looking at different people and, and just, you know, Florence Scovel Shin said something about, you know, if, uh, if you're if you're somebody's got an issue with their eyes, there's something that they don't want to see. And it got me thinking about the body and kind of looking at it in a logical sense. And so, okay, well, if we don't want to, if, if we have something with our ears and there's something we don't want to hear, or we have fear of hearing, or there's some type of emotion that we have around hearing. And of course, this is, I'm talking surface, there's, there's more to it. But when I started looking at, the body, you know, if, if you think about it, a sexual thought goes to, of course, the sex organs. And so I started just thinking, okay, well, my nervous system, what does the nervous system mean? 
And I started thinking about, okay, well, fight, flight, or freeze. What's happening? And how is, what's happening with my nervous system? Why is it so reactive? And so I started looking and following the pattern of fear that I had had. And I realized that I had like this strong expectation and even fear of dying and also a feeling of expecting to die and wanting to die. Like, and so it just, the, it was a patterned way of thinking and feeling like I wanted to die for others. And, and I also expected that I was going to die. So it was all of these different emotions that I had around this pattern. And so I started clearing it up. And, and by the way, I mean, one of the things that I started to realize is that the events from September 11th had impacted me. And that was part of this pattern. I didn't even realize they had impacted me, but that was one feeling that created this feeling of wanting to die, wanting to go die to save others and also expecting to die. Like, you know, all, all of these emotions of fear and, and so there was just a, a lot of different emotions. And so my nervous system was having an abnormal response. And, and so that's what I started looking at. And that was the pattern that I found. And I began transforming that. And it had been a pattern throughout my life. And so that was pivotal. So even though you can see relief from pain in the thermal imaging immediately, it's not as though you change that pattern immediately. You know, I didn't because I was very much still figuring it out. Um, I have worked with people who I work with them once and they get it and they understand what it is and they have that clarity and I'll help them to shift out of pain and it never comes back. In fact, the one I mentioned on my website, it was a woman with neck pain. I showed her how to use her mind to release her neck pain. Uh, that video was done in like 2015. And her neck pain never came back, and it's now, you know, nine years later. <laughs> and so, uh, and that was just, and that was at one time. Now, I worked with other people who I helped them to release pain, and then maybe they go home and they get into an argument with their spouse, and then when they get in an argument with their spouse, it triggers them again, and so the, the issue comes back, and they have to really work to train, to change that, trans, that uh, pattern. And so it really depends on how, it, how the pattern shows up in somebody's life and how easily they are able to embrace change and, and what those triggers are. But it, it does take genuine change. In other words, if you have worms all the time all around you, it might be harder to get rid of the disgust and it might take some more effort than if you only see them once a week, so to speak, and, uh, and need to delete that. You know, so it's, it, it depends. Mm-hmm. My daughter and I um, did a video uh, course um, in the Sarno method, which he, of course, was one of the first MDs to say, um, it's not in your mind, but it is in your brain, and we can simply change your brain because that's where you are experiencing the pain and what's causing it is repressed emotions. And he was very Freudian in all of it. And he told a story that I still don't really quite get of going to Europe with his wife for a couple of weeks and the very first night there he got terrible indigestion and continued to have it for the entire two weeks. 
And when he got home, he sat down and he said, well, so, Dr. Sarno, what do you think is going on? He said to himself, and he said, well, I didn't want to go with her. I didn't want to go to Europe. I didn't want to leave home. But I wanted to make her happy, so I went. I'm so glad I had indigestion. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yep. I, I, I hear you. I hear you. And I thought, What? Why are you glad you had indigestion? Why didn't you like, sit down the first night and say, what is going on here? And, of course, m- my answer, I don't know what his answer would have been, was I guess he's in a relationship where he couldn't, like, say to her, gosh, you know what, I really don't want to be here. What are we going to do about that? Okay. And, by the way, this is what I would have said. Do you know how we're talking about the mind-body, right? Yes. Indigestion is unable to digest. So I would say the entire time, there is a feeling of resistance of not, I, I don't want to digest this. I don't want to take this in. I don't want to take this in. I don't want to take this in. Okay? Right. So think, yep. So, so I would say that it, it, thinking about it for a moment. So if I said, look, at, I'm trying to eat food and I can't digest it or it's not digesting. So I would say, oh, so there was a part of that story of not wanting to digest that experience, of resisting taking it in of that experience. So, yeah. So when we, and that's the thing, is when we start to understand that each part of the body is speaking to us, and, and so a lot of times what happens, by the way, is people, they try to just negate the emotion and say, oh, well, that's not real, but instead transforming it is key. And, um, and because what happens, and, and part of the reason that healing can feel hard or even transformation can feel hard is that our patterns breed more of the same. So we can get stuck in a cycle and, and kind of there's, there's multiple ways to look at it. But first and foremost, you know, if there's a few things. First and foremost, when we look at patterns, a lot of our patterns started in childhood. So even my pattern that I mentioned uh, that was triggered by 9-11, the pattern itself started at a very young age. And so wasn't, the trauma, and that's where I see a lot of people, they go, okay, well, let me look at the trauma. But once I found the trauma, instead of saying, oh, well, there's this trauma, I said, what is this pattern that's under it? And that was key to changing the pattern because that's changing the actual neural, pla- neural pathway is key. And as you mentioned previously, you know, with neuroplasticity, we have the ability to change our neural pathways, and that's key for changing the pattern and, uh, and creating that real change. And you did that, and you did that in the face of professionals, experts, and people you trusted saying you couldn't. Exactly. They said that there was nothing else they could do, and I was getting nerve ablations and infusions, injections, all of these things, and, and nothing was healing my body, and, uh, and I was just stuck. And so, and, and you said, okay, I, I hear you. You can't do anything. And what a gift they gave you. Yeah. You know, it's funny. That's it's funny. you on the path of, so what else can I do? And to me, that was also very pivotal in your healing, that instead of trusting them to heal you, you took on the responsibility yourself. Exactly, and it's it's kind of funny that you said what a gift because that's what I actually call my process is the gift method. And, <laughs> <laughs> yep, because that's what happens. Is, is the way I see health issues is like this: is that 
from a spiritual awareness that if we have some type of health issue, our body, it's like a check engine light on a car. You know, if you're driving a car and the check engine light comes on, it's telling you something is off and you've got to change it. And if we have a health issue, it is telling us that our way of thinking and feeling, our patterns are off and it's creating a problem. And so what's beautiful is all the time I've seen people, and myself included, that when we identify the pattern, the negative pattern that's running in our lives, and we genuinely transform it, that it becomes a life-changing gift. And so that's why I call it also the gift method is, is it does. It's, just, it's, uh, it's incredible when we change ourselves that we also change our lives. Brilliant. And we change our lives then in line with ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. And when we think about it for a moment, one way to illustrate this, is if we go back to things like repetition, compulsion, or reenactments, or attachment theory, you know, going back to the awareness that, you know, unfortunately a woman can have an abusive father and leave him and find the abusive boyfriend, boss, spouse, et cetera, et cetera. Like that pattern can continue. And it's not just in psychology. We can see even in criminal statistics. When we look at statistics, re-victimization, we can see that, people who have had the most trauma in childhood have the highest tendency to have the most trauma as an adult. So those patterns can unfortunately continue. And, you know, what's beautiful is that when we can look at whatever our patterns are and create that change, we can feel empowered that we don't have to stay stuck in the pattern, in the problem, in the hurt. And, and have it continue on, that we can make those changes. And that's what I love is the empowerment and the gift in it. And I think that another thing is really key to mention, and it's this, it's that in some ways this sounds really, really easy. Like, okay, we just change, change our patterns and we just change our, our emotions and it's going to be easy. But there are key things that we really need to understand about emotions. And one of them is this is that emotions control our perception and our consciousness. And, uh, um, and basically a simple way to illustrate this is if we think about somebody who is in love, they're really, really, really in love with somebody, what do they see? They see all of the great things automatically. They see all the best in the person. But if somebody's upset or they're angry or you know, just really, really upset or had an argument, what does the mind do? It automatically fault finds or continues the argument and continues automatically without trying. It just keeps doing that same thing. And so what happens is when we have intense emotions, they make us feel and perceive a certain way. And so what happens is to create a real change, a lot of times, to make it pivotal, to make it life-changing, we also need to create a radical shift in emotions where we bring in new positive emotions, but we also let go of that old negative programming. And as we do, we're able to shift our consciousness. We start feeling differently and seeing differently automatically. And that's when we can com- really create long-term change is because we really shift our mindset mindset to see and feel in a different way and it becomes our new norm and that's key as well it does sound so simple 
It does, doesn't it? And it can be. And it can be. And yet, in many ways, um, there are so many detours and so many byways. It helps to have someone to help you um, stay focused. It, it, it absolutely can. It absolutely, I, I can tell you that, you know, um, creating that new change and following through, it, it does take follow through. Um, and uh, and it, it absolutely can be helpful to have somebody help um, to keep you focused. And, uh, and I would also say that, you know, optimally, the more we can just embrace a radical change, that's what's important. You know, a lot of times people don't like to change. We don't necessarily want to change. But when people start to realize that it's good, like in other words, we've all heard before people get in their comfort zone and they have fear of change. But what can also happen is this, is that we get mixed mind programming. For example, um, one example is this, is that, You know, if we think about um, an example of a cutter, unfortunately, you know, somebody who engages in self-harm, a cutter can cut themselves and they can experience feelings of relief or euphoria from cutting themselves and or control or even safety, which doesn't make any logical sense, but it gets linked up. And so similarly, people can get it linked up that if they criticize themselves, it keeps them safe or that sympathy gets them love. And then what happens, of course, is then they need more problems. Oh, my God. Go ahead. Cut us off. I want to thank you so much for being with us and give you one more chance to give your website, Brandy Gilmore, two L's in Gilmore. I'm so sorry. We I just got the message coming through my line that they're giving us 15 more seconds. So all right, well, to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients and thank you. Oh, now I, we get 60 seconds. I wish you'd make up your mind there, my girl. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to rewire her mind. Why are you whispering in your ear all of these disparate things? <laughs> well, that was nice of her to give her a little bit more time. And just it very simply, I want to leave everybody with this, is it we're truly incredible beings. And, you know, if you're stuck, feeling sick, having pain, illness, all of that, my book is it's called Master Your Mind and Energy to Heal Your Body. And it's truly incredible what we are capable of. And I have to say, you are just beautiful and wonderful. It is, I, I've loved laughing and having this conversation with you. And, um, and you're just a beautiful being. So thank you for having me. You too, Brandy. You are a treasure. Ten seconds now. And thank you, Sarah Ellen. Green blessings, everybody. Good night. Ten seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Eh, Linear time, let me go.